we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, um, which, if you remember, it really establishes our identity from, from the very beginning. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. And, and then, just a couple of verses later, in verse 5, he, he reminds us that he has caused us to be adopted into his family as sons and, and daughters. And so this is an important reminder for us that as we, as we dig into this passage, as we looked at last week, talking about marriage, as we look at parenting this week, this isn't wisdom literature. This isn't Proverbs. This isn't just some, some good insights on things you should do, nor is it a moralism of like simply, hey, everybody just try harder at this. This is rooted in the gospel. Everything I'm going to say today is rooted, rooted in the gospel, um, that the commands are, are flow from the goodness uh, of God. One of the things that happens when we talk about marriage, uh, talk about um, parenting, is the same thing we talked about marriage last week. You, you can't help but think about the home you were raised in, right? The, the, the situation you were in. For some, that was, that was good. You have good memories of, of the home you were raised in. Not perfect parents, but you, were, you enjoyed your home, right? And then for others, it's painful, it's difficult. Um, but the, the good news today is not that, that um, hey, there's, there's just good news for those who were raised in difficult homes. The good news is that uh, there's good news for all of us because no one was raised in a, a perfect home, right? There's nobody who got by unscathed by sin in their home family of origin. Nobody had perfect parents, and you certainly weren't a perfect kid, right? No matter how hard you tried. Um, and some of you were, you know, those little white knuckle moralist kids that did everything right, uh, but your little wicked heart did it for the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> and so it doesn't matter. The thing is, it doesn't matter whether you're from a good home or from a home that you wish you could forget. Um, the gospel is for all of us today. We all need the gospel, and the gospel meets us where, where we are. And one of the reasons why it's so important that we root ourselves in the gospel is because you cannot help but parent out of how you were parented. How many of you that are parents, this happened to you? Somewhere, obviously not day one, because they don't understand what you're saying, but somewhere along the way, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, a phrase or, or, or sentence came out of your mouth that you did not think about consciously, and it was straight up from your parents that you heard as a child. Okay, Teresa, not you and I are the only ones. Um, it, 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 you can't help but do it. Did it shock you? It like shocked me. I remember going, oh gosh, that's what my parents used to say, right? You cannot help but do that. And if you think about just even the words, but also the actions, you can't help but parent out of that. Sometimes it's, it can be okay, it can be cute. Uh, one of the things that was funny was, um, I don't know where my dad got it from. I've only heard, I've heard it from a few other people, but when I was a little kid, my dad would sometimes console me, not immediately, but like, you know, the way after he had hugged me and, you know, I'd hurt my knee or whatever, and he would hug me and, and he would say, it will get better before you get married. <laughs> Um, I don't, I know it's weird, it's a weird phrase, it'll get better before you get married. <laughs> um, so uh, I carried that on, my, my girls know that phrase extremely well, um, and I could use that right up until Hannah was in her early 20s, uh, and then I told her, it might not, you know, <laughs> you get married here before long, and it might not get better, but, uh, but, but unfortunately, you also bring the bad stuff. You'll find yourself reacting 
in a way that, that reminds you of your parents, your, the anger or the, the quick temper, or even like the passivity in a moment, you're just like, oh, I'm just not gonna engage with this. I don't wanna deal with this. I'm just gonna pull back and uh, think about something else or I'll try to redirect, but I don't wanna actually take the time to, to, to press in on this moment. Jackie Hill Perry said, uh, said this. She said, I'm trying really hard to not parent out of my dysfunction. When I started to go to counseling, I realized that so much of my behaviors and thinking and patterns and responses to pain or trauma or irritation or frustration came out of how I was parented or what I observed. So we all need the gospel today, right? Um, and as I said last week about marriage, um, the, the, the only real problem uh, in parenting is that you're a sinner, your child is a sinner, and you're trying to raise them in a sinful world, Right? I mean, it's a wonder we get any of it right, but it, you're broken, which means out of your brokenness, you're going to try to parent. Your child is broken, which means no matter how sweet and loving and wonderful your child is, there is still wickedness in there. There's, there's still a sinner, right? Um, they just might hide it well. What does Paul tell us in light of this? Well, let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and I'll read. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Paul said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So lots to say, and just like marriage, um, it's not something you do, you do once, right? This is a, you, you get married, you have a journey, it's a process, you learn, you grow, you change, all of those things. So I want to give some, some reference, some books that you might consider if you're a parent or, or hope to be a parent someday. Uh, the first one is Parenting, the 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by Paul Tripp. That's, that's a great work. His, uh, his brother years ago wrote one called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, that was probably 25 years ago now. Um, such a great book. I read that when, when my kids were little. It's, it's about shepherding their heart, not teaching them to be uh, moral performers. Uh, and that's related to the third one, which is a newer work, Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus by Elise uh, Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson. And then lastly, Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. And I love this one, last one because it doesn't focus on, um, on necessarily like high principles. It's about, um, it's about including uh, discipling your kids through everyday life. Now, I know, all, you know I've heard the stories of the pastor, and this happens in pastor circles. Oh, I've taught my children the catechism at two. You know, we spent a thousand hours drilling this into their heads. And I'm like, okay, number one, you're weird. I don't have a thousand hours to do that. Uh, number two, you're, uh, you know, I'm not sure your child really understands it just because they can repeat it. You want them to understand how to, how to apply it to life, right? Um, and so parents, you know, it's hard to find extra time. So what he does in his book is how you eat, right? Well, how you can use eating, how can you use bedtime, how can you use things like that? to help, uh, help disciple your kids in the gospel. Uh, there's also, by the way, if you just Google YouTube, uh, YouTube search Paul Tripp, 
there's some really great videos on there. Uh, just some are short, um, but it's like sessions that he teaches on parenting. If you're more of a vid- video learner, and then there are articles on the Gospel Coalition. Just literally, if you type in parenting, there's like ten thousand articles. Everything from dealing with a strong-willed child to dealing with uh, having a child who has special needs, adoptive families, you name it. It's it's really great, uh, helpful tool. Now. I know all of you parents out there, you're going to go out right away, buy these four books, watch all the videos, and, uh, and read all the books, and, and read the articles on the Gospel Coalition, right? Because what do you have? You have time, right? Tons of time. Here's what I'd recommend. Don't dive in and try to read all of them. Maybe this year, you read one chapter, a week, or a month, <laughs> and here, here's what you do. You, you read a chapter, a week, or a month one a month, and you uh, put your kids to bed one night, and you get some wine out, and you talk with your spouse about it. Or you get another couple who's parenting, and you, you read one chapter a month, and you say, hey, can we have, we'll, we'll put the kids down one night, let's just have a, a, a talk, laid back talk about this. Um, don't, feel, don't feel pressured. I know many of you are raised by really type A parents. Um, I have, I've especially learned this for uh, immigrant families. Uh, you have been driven to succeed, and, and you've been taught somehow in your back of your mind, there's a thought, I can win at parenting. Let me, let me say this as clearly as I can. You can't. This isn't a degree, right? The degree, they hand you the diploma, you got it, you finished it, it's done. This is not that. This is a journey. And guess what? You're going to change on this journey, and you're going to learn on this journey, and you're going to be challenged on this journey, and you're going to experience conviction on this journey, and that's all good and okay. You're not going to kill it from day one. I know those parents, uh, they find out they're pregnant, and they read every book on parenting that Amazon sells, right? And before the child's even born, they're like, I have all of the information. And it's like, no, that's not going to work. Um, your child's going to come out and, you know, what's beautiful is that sometimes God gives those type A parents a type B child, right? <laughs> and all the type A parenting does not work, ineffectual. ineffectual. Um, but this is where we need to remind ourselves, what is the purpose of parenting? And, this, and to summarize what Paul is really saying here, and I want to just summarize from this passage, he's saying your goal as a parent is to raise a, a, an adult, fully formed follower of Jesus, an adult, fully formed follower of Jesus. It's not to make your child like you. That's not the purpose of parenting. It's not to be your child's friend. I have adult children. We have a good friendship. That's the fruit of parenting, is having an adult relationship with your adult kids. But in the meantime, there's a purpose there. And that purpose is to help them to learn to be fully formed, healthy adult followers of Christ not to be dependent on you. I've seen parents that I'm like, literally uh, just observing your, your parenting, and, and I'm not speaking about COA or anything, I'm, I'm just saying like parents in general, I've seen, I've come across parents. It seems like the parent's goal is for the child to be dependent on them. Now, I'm not talking to two-year-old. Two-year-old's pretty dependent, but a four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12, 14, 15-year-old who's being parented like a two-year-old They can't do anything on their own, can't contribute anything to the family, can't help with any chores, can't make any decisions. That's not serving the child, is it? It may make a parent who has a deep wound in their own heart and needs to be needed, it might make them feel good. But it's not going to help that child to be a fully formed follower of Jesus. I I want to say this... uh, one of the reasons this message is like marriage, you know, I said two weeks ago, if you came on to marriage week, you were like, 
uh, and you're single, you're like, oh, it's that marriage sermon, right? Um, and those of you that aren't parents, aren't married or, or, or don't have kids, you're like, sweet, this is the, the week I was going to sleep in or you know, go sledding or skiing or whatever. Um, this is for you. And one of the reasons I say this is because God, God, doesn't, um, God calls us as a community into the role of raising children. And what do I mean by that? Um, if, if the analogy in the New Testament is that we're family, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, um, if you lived close to your sister, or you had a healthy family, you live close to your brother, they live nearby, would you be like, don't get involved? I don't want you involved with my children, right? I don't want you, no. And, and, and if they were healthy, what would they want to do? They'd want to come over and hang with your kids. They'd want to come over and, and support you. They'd want to come there and be near you and be, with, and be a part of helping to raise your kids. So in the Christian uh, uh, family, singles have a role as well. They're aunts and uncles, right? They're, or older cousins, however you want to picture that, uh, in, in that family. And sometimes, and the truth is, no matter how great a parent is doing, I would say this as a, for you single folks or, or married people, you look in and you say like, oh, I think they must be doing great. They're not, okay? Don't ever assume that the parents you know are just thriving right now, right? They all need encouragement. They all doubt themselves, at times, am I blowing it? Am I doing okay? And sometimes we need that outside voice to say, hey, you know what? I know she's, she's going through a phase right now. She's a little difficult, but I just want to encourage you. I see you trying to love her well, your daughter or you know, your three-year-old or whatever. Like it, I see you trying to do that. And, and I, want to, I want to encourage you, right? Like, so there's a role there and it's important. Teresa and I made 1 million mistakes, give or take 50,000. But one of the mistakes we did not make, thank God, was that our kids were raised in, in the Christian community, like very much, very close. Um, and one of the reasons that we do uh, the parent-child dedication the way that we do, which we have one coming in, in uh, May, we do it on Mother's Day, uh, is, is that there's vows made, but not just the parents, right? If you've been seen it, it's not just vows that the parents make before God, it is the congregation the members who stand up and say, yes, we vow to walk with you. We vow to pray for your child. We vow to be involved in your child's life, right? And so that's a beautiful picture of community. And I want to just remind all of you as parents in that the book of Ephesians and these commands were not given to uh, individual parents, but given to a church, a community. So the commands come out of this. And, and I'm sort of summarizing them and, and the purpose of them for us today. The first command that Paul gives is, Children learn to honor God by honoring their parents. A child's relationship to their parents uh, teach him or her about the authority of God. Uh, this means that, uh, and Paul's addressing children specifically, which, was, which is kind of weird. If you know anything uh, at all about Roman culture, I mean, a lot of children died, right? Ch children died, a parent, uh, moms died in childbirth, children died in childbirth, young children died of all kinds of diseases and malnourishment or whatever. And so it was not common to like really include children in the idea of like community, especially smaller children. Um, and in this concept, Paul is saying like, hey, in the Ephesian church, children, listen up. He addresses the children. Why? Because they are part of the church community. Um, and, and, when, um, and as part of that, when a child disrespects their parents, disobeys them, lies to their parents, you lie to God. Now, I know you're, you might be thinking, well, that's just going to crush their little soul. Not if you've taught them the gospel. That God still loves them. And God has given Jesus 
to forgive them. If you use that heavy-handed, which we've all seen parents, or maybe we experience that from our parents, just follow the rules, right? Just do the right thing. And, and that crushes a child's heart. But when they understand the gospel and they understand the, the, uh, the fatherhood of God, then there's a foundation to build that call for obedience on. This means that Sunday, Koa Kids, and what we do here, is not ultimately about watching kids. You know, when I was growing up, I'm pretty sure they had the nursery. And I, I'm, I'm bizarre in this. I have, I have like really vivid memories down to, I think, 18 months old. Um, I know it's unusual. I've, thought, I've like read on this some. Uh, I have memories of being in a crib. Uh, true story. Uh, <laughs> and I, it was confirmed when we took uh, Hannah and put her in that crib. My dad was putting it together again, uh, the crib I was in. And I said, Dad, there's teeth marks on the, on the handle right there where I used to stand there and chew on the side. I probably, it was a lead paint. I was, that probably explains a lot. But um, <laughs> this was 70s. You ate everything. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, the, the thing about it is what, what I, when, when I was a kid, I felt like I was just being kept out of the service. I was being entertained, right? Not, not like intentionally discipled. And, and COA Kids, the vision of COA Kids is not to entertain your kids so the adults can come in here and have an adult service. It is for your children to, to, be help, to help your children for, to come alongside you as parents to disciple them into being followers of Jesus. So the gospel is taught to your children, which means also, by the way, when you volunteer, you're not volunteering for child care, right? Yes, we care for the children. That's the base level. But, but COA Kids is so much more. You're actually helping to make followers of Jesus. So if you'd like to volunteer for that, all you got to do is take that connection card and write COA Kids on the back and, uh, or email Janie at COA Church. We had a few signed up last week, so I had to throw it out there again. Um, so what Paul does here is he gives us an application and then the, the principle that that application is based on. He says, children, obey your parents, right? Obey your parents. And then he says, Honor, because the Bible says, honor your father and mother, um, you know, uh, in uh, all the days of your life. And he's referring to the Old Testament, to the Ten Commandments that we all are maybe familiar with, to honor our parents. And what he's doing is he's bringing this command to obey, or this application, obey your parents, out of that. Obey is a very simple uh, command. Uh, honor your father and mother is a huge command. So obey is, is a small part of that. And the word children that he's referring to is not children as in all biological children, because everybody's a child, right, of somebody. Uh, so he's not referring to everyone who's a child. He's referring to the word children means those who are living in the home under, under the authority of the parents. So this is that age, right, before they become adults. Obey your parents. And he says, obey in the Lord, which means, which means what I said at the beginning. Your child learning to obey you is them learning to obey God. And when they choose to disobey you, they are disobeying God, which is why it matters. I would argue, okay, they, they disobey you. That's, that's you. And, and I think as, as a, a, a earthly thinking parent, okay, they just disobey me. That's, what's the big deal? But you're, not only are they disobeying you in that, they're disobeying God, and you're teaching them that it's okay to just disobey God. 
It's okay. Now, I'm not talking about childish things or a childish mistake or somehow not meeting your expectations. I'm talking about the willful, and let me tell you, one of my two daughters, one who's not here, would look you dead in the eye at three years old. Three years old, dead in the eye, and do exactly what you just told her not to do. If you said, don't touch that, she wouldn't just do this. She would look at you and go, That is willful, it was funny, but it was willful, <laughs> it was willful disobedience. And in that moment, we could like laugh and chuck it up and go, okay, honey, go do whatever now. But what I did by redirecting her in that moment or simply letting her get away with it is say, it doesn't really matter if you obey mommy and daddy. It's perfectly okay to just do it and think it's funny. Now, sometimes... You do that. Like as a parent, sometimes you just, you're laughing so hard you can't discipline them. <laughs> um, and that's okay once in a while, okay? Nobody's, it's not about being perfect. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I want to say to the parents in particular, this is huge because letting your child disobey, dishonor, and disrespect you is literally assisting them, framing them out to dishonor and disrespect God. It, it, it's, it's God's design. Why? Because before our, your kid understands there's a God over the universe who rules and reigns and who they owe absolute allegiance to, they understand there's a mommy and daddy who rule over the house for their good. So teaching them to understand authority, and I know authority is a terrible term in our culture, right? It's a bad word. Oh, abusive authority. I'm not talking about abusive authority. And we all know what happens when there's no authority. Right? It's another A word that happens. Anarchy. Right? Try going to your workplace. No company has ever tried this. We're going to make all the employees equal. Nobody, nobody's in charge, but we're going to still produce or make or research or do whatever we do. How do you think that's going to go? How's a hospital going to go with that? Anarchy. So God has put you as the authority in your home, a good authority, a loving authority, compassionate authority, a grace-filled authority, but an authority. And if that authority is not used to, to, in good ways to help shape your child to understand authority, then don't be surprised when they're 16 and they reject all authority because you're shaping your child to understand uh, who God is through your behavior. Now, the word, and I want to deal with this because he does give us the command to honor honor our father and mother that our days might be numbered, right, in the land. In other words, it, it, God, it's, the only, it's the only commandment with a promise uh, of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting. Only commandment. Basically, God says, if you choose to honor your father and mother, he's saying, I will bless you for that. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be rich or whatever, but, but God sees it no matter how hard it is. And so I, I see this in three, three ways I think I would just flesh out very quickly for you. One, I think, is respect. So adult kids, right? That's, that's us in the room. Maybe you're under 18. If that's the case, then obey your parents. Um, but the rest of us, and this applies for you as well, honor your parents, but it's respect. And, it, and here's the thing. Respecting your adult parent or as an adult is not always about who they are. It's not about how worthy they are. Because listen, we could go around this room and I'm sure we could share some horrible stories of parents who do not, are not worthy of respect. The point is, you don't respect them because they're worthy. You respect them because of who you are in Christ. And that's different. 
Now, the, the relationship's gonna look different. In that respect, is going to look different than an intimate, beautiful relationship between an adult child and an adult parent, right? But you still, at your heart, you say, I'm gonna do my best to respect this parent, even if they're unworthy because of who I am in Christ. Secondly, speak well of them. Now, I'm not saying you can't talk about what they've done to fail you. I think one of the best things you can do as an adult is have a conversation with your parents about some of the ways they struggle, especially if it's still impacting you, still causing you to struggle. Uh, if you're able to have that conversation, there were a few things I said to my, I, I've, I've said to my parents even in my 40s, you know, yesterday and before. Um, <laughs> I had a conversation with my parents. I talked to them about, hey, you know, I remember these experience. I remember this experience. I remember this. And um, for some reason, I just carry that. I hung on to that. Um, and so that's okay. Um, but it's, it's how you speak them. Because one of the things that happens is you can just, just walk around with a critical spirit about your parents. You complain to anyone that'll listen. And here's what that indicates. That's less about your parents and more about the wounds you're carrying. If you if you can't help but just kind of criticize your parents every time an opportunity comes up, I'm not talking about talking about what they, how they failed you. That's, that's one thing. But you can't help but sort of go down a critical path with that. That probably indicates you need some help with that. You might need to go to the Boston Center for Biblical Counseling for five or six sessions to work through some things. I know many people across COA who have done that. So respect, speaking well of them, and then providing for them. Uh, as your parents get older, they need, they need support. They need your care. They need you to, um, to, to support them emotionally, physically, right? Um, I think I've shared, but my mom is in the early stages. She was diagnosed with the early stages of Alzheimer's. Um, there's, there's one major issue with, with this in my mom is that my mom is in absolutely phenomenal physical health as a 79-year-old. Literally no glasses, no medication, super active every day. Her doctor said she's going to live to 100. That's what he says. I believe physically you, you, you're going to live to be 100. That's, that's going to be a hard road ahead. I've got some tough things to work through. Now, I'm praying for this uh, research that's happening over at Brigham, I think it is, that's Brigham and Women, that's, that's with the Alzheimer uh, drug. If you're working on that, go hard, right? Go hard. I think it's supposed, they said four or five years before it could get to market, but it's like pretty, pretty staggering how incredible it is. And I think medication will come, but... There's going to be challenges in loving and providing for what my mom needs um, and my dad and caring for them. It also means uh, not, I would say this now, none of you are having to deal with this, but you will. I, I will at some point have to make decisions about where they stay. They've already actually made all these decisions because my parents plan out everything. Um, <laughs> but, they, but I'll have to, there'll be some I have to make, right? Um, to, to care for them. Don't dump them in a rest home somewhere. Like, I'm not saying don't put them in a home. I'm saying, like, I was in Kentucky. In Kentucky, I worked, uh, I had a woman in my church who worked at the local restaurant, and our church did a service every about six or eight weeks over there. On a Sunday afternoon, we'd go do a short little service with the residents. And I remember talking to the, the woman who worked there and then seeing it over and over again and, and talking to other people that worked there. Um, there were people who literally never had their family come see them. Never, like ever, came to see them. I, my, that is not honoring your father and mother. Listen, they, they, it doesn't mean you have to go there every single day, but, but there's a way to honor and, and respect your parents even in that age. All right, so obey your parents. And then secondly, a shorter command, but, and, and, and we'll spend a little less time on this, but 
fathers, and I would argue, and mothers, are to make disciples of their children. Paul says, verse 4, fathers, do not provide, uh, provoke your children to anger, but, pro- but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, the old translations say discipline and admonition of the Lord. Um, the two extremes in the culture when it comes to kids and the way parents raise their kids, one is the child is the center of the home. Child or children are the absolute center of the home. Everything's arranged around them. Every family decision, whatever they want to do, however they want to go. They have no responsibilities in the home. They don't help out in any way. Everything is provided for them. And you know what this teaches them? Well, one, it makes them an idol. Parents turn their children, little children into an idol because that's what worship is, giving your time, energy, and affection to something in such a way that it would, it's the center of your life. And, and there are parents who do that. Does not help your child at all. Sometimes you got to look at your child and say, hey, I know it's Saturday and you want to go play with little, uh, little Johnny, but today we're, we're all going to do what, what mommy wants to do. And we're all, that means in my house, we're going to the beach, right? Uh, and, and so, and, 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 and teaching your child to, your children to help out here and there. Yeah, you probably shouldn't put your two-year-old in front of the sink washing dishes, but, but when they're five or, or six or seven, like learning some of those responsibilities, why? Because it teaches them they're part of something. It teaches them they belong to something bigger. And it doesn't feed a narcissistic, self-centered worldview. By the way, the world will prove to them is wrong, which leads to depression. Because if you've thought you were the center of the universe and that's the home you were raised in, and now all of a sudden you're tossed out into Boston University with 34,000 students and your professor isn't like, I'm so glad you're here. It, you realize the world's not about you and you can't understand why your roommate and the people around you aren't so excited about being in on your life. I'm telling you, one of the things you can do as a parent to serve your children well is to teach them they're not the center of the world, but they are dearly loved by God. God is the center of the world. And the other extreme, so that's the center of the world. And then the other extreme is, and I see, I've seen this, and I see this in especially uh, families of means, is children are kind of just something on the side. It's like a nice little thing they got in their lives. Yeah, we got a couple of kids. Our nanny takes care of them. And, you know, this lady, she takes them to, to the soccer camps. And, and then during the summer, we send them off to these, you know, you know six-week camps. And, uh, and you know, we, we see them occasionally. Right? Parents going out with friends all the time. Not, I'm not talking about it's healthy to go out. Parents, you should go out with your friends some. But like all the time. And it just seems like their kids are a hobby in their life. Children are the most time-consuming thing you do as a, as a parent, as an adult. I would argue that. Why? Because even when you're working, you're thinking about them, right? You're thinking about how they're doing at school. You're thinking about what's happening. It, it is time-consuming. Um, now, why did Paul say fathers here? And you have to understand the Roman culture. Is he saying like parents have no responsibility, uh, wives have no, um, mothers have no responsibility here? And the answer is no. You have to understand the Roman culture. Fathers in Roman culture are nothing like, like I think maybe in some really hyper traditional Middle Eastern families, you might you might be tipping to the level of a father. Uh, in Roman culture, a father had absolute power. He could sell his child as a slave. Uh, he could make them work in the fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands and bring corporate or even capital punishment. And this power of a father extended over the entire life of the child, no matter how old they were. 
That's a scary power, right? Unhealthy, uh, we would argue, but that was the culture of the Ephesian church. So Paul's saying, hey, dads, you, have, you hold absolute sway over your children here. You need to, to, to love them and, and care for them and raise them in the Lord. Do not exacerbate them. Do not frustrate them. Do not cause them to be angry because you've treated them poorly. I would argue in this culture, in our culture, where, where parenting is now, you know, no husbands hold that and their fathers hold that power. It's, it's a team. That, that, that's why I included mothers here, that we have, mothers have a call uh, to, to uh, raise their children, right? To, to make disciples of their children. How do parents, though, frustrate their kids? Uh, two ways that I see or exacerbate their kids. One is over-discipline. Over-discipline crushes the child's spirit. Right? It, it, it has a way of um, putting a weight on a child that's not a child's to bear. When a child is punished for being a child, when they do something that's childish and it's really childish and not, not uh, malevolent, they're not being evil, they just, they, they're being a child. They don't pay attention. They forgot what you told them to do, right? Like sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's just being a child. That punishing them for that can, can crush them. When you, when you punish your child for not meeting your expectations, whatever arbitrary expectations they are, there should be absolute silence in the house when I get home, right? Well, at that point, that's about you, isn't it? It's not really about the good of the child. And really, should a three-year-old learn to be silent? Like, that's, that's kind of scary, some parents even withhold affection from their child if they fail them. It creates anxiety, anger. Parents who abuse their children emotionally, mentally, physically, this over, it's not even discipline, it's just abuse, uh, destroys little children and they carry it for life. The other aspect is under-discipline. Not loving your child enough to help shape their character and correct them when they need it. I've heard this modern philosophy, never quite understood it, but don't ever tell your child no. Don't want to tell your child no. You will crush them. You want them to experience the whole world and not be, not be subjected. Um, that's, try that. Uh, tell me how a, a 15-year-old who's never been told no is doing. Unless they're truly exceptional, they're not doing well. Others may discipline their children, uh, not discipline their kids because they want them to like them. You need to get over that. Your job is to love your child even if they don't like you in the moment. Why? Because does God ever do anything that you don't like in the moment? Does he? Of course he does. There are things that he brings in your life that you're like, I don't want this right now. I don't like this. I do not enjoy this. And God doesn't go, oh, okay, well, I'll take that away. No, he, he gives it to you, but there's the underlying current. God, God disciplines us because he loves us. God is a father, we see from Deuteronomy and the book of Hebrews, God is a father who disciplines his kids for our good. And that's the, the marker that separates a, a good parent from a bad parent is your child, not in the moment, because I remember somebody saying, I hate you on multiple occasions, right? Will not say who that was. This would say, I hate you um, in those moments. And after the adrenaline, after that was over, there was hugs, 
there was affirmation, there was grace and forgiveness. And you know what? Even though it didn't make sense in the moment, later on, they look back and go, yeah, that was for my good. And it's amazing when one of your child is preparing to become a parent. All of a sudden, the things that they learned from your parenting, (laughs) they begin to go, I'm glad you did that. (laughs) I'm glad you did that. (laughs) Um, Don't try to be a better parent than God. God disciplines us because he loves us. Disciplining is hard and because it requires two things from us. One, um, that it's non-negotiable. These are two of the baseline, absolute baseline requirements. One is time. There are so many times, I have to tell you as a parent, and I see this, is that in the moment, it's harder to discipline your child than it is to let it go or just try to redirect the child. It's, it's harder. It takes time. You got you to gotta stop. You got to interrupt whatever's happening. You got to get their attention. You got to get down on their level. You got to talk to them. You got to engage them about what happened and why this was wrong or why this is, they shouldn't be doing this or should be doing that, why they shouldn't hit their little brother in the head with a stick or whatever it is, right? Uh, it's, it's, you're, you're, it takes time. Listen, you can go over and just snatch the stick out of the kid's hand, Right? That might solve it. Maybe they don't do that anymore. But you did not discipline the child. You didn't help them to understand. And it takes time. And too many parents are, are like, just want to get past it, right? Just want to move on. I know that feeling. And you're going to do it sometimes, okay? Um, and I would argue the time it takes isn't enjoyable. It isn't. I don't know any parent that enjoys discipline. You know what gets me up in the morning with my kids? Is I hope they mess up so I can discipline them. Well, their kids should probably be taken away from them. Right? I have never met. Don't look at a parent that disciplines well and think that they enjoy it for one second. They don't. But part of loving your child is doing the unenjoyable thing that's for their good, not yours. So as long as you're being selfish, you're not going to be able to be disciplined. Take the time. It takes time but it pays off the older the child grows. One of the things that happened to me, and, I, and I, I, I know we talked about student ministry today. I don't want to, I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen with our student ministry. But uh, when I was a student pastor, I would have parents, like they'd been out of church for years or just sort of on the margins of the church showing up sometimes, bringing their kids for worship, right? And then their kid's 13 and they're like, hey, here they are. This is a youth group. Go to the youth group. And I'm now trying to uh, shepherd a child and disciple them who have, and, and, and in a lot of ways, undoing what parents have done, trying to teach them a different way, right? Parent, the child's starting to get out of control. Parents get frustrated, bring the child to youth group. So it takes time. And then the second thing that's a huge part of that is consistency. And why? It takes time because you got to be consistent. Um, there's always moments, let me say this, lots of grace. There is always moments you got to let it go. If you are in the Chick-fil-A line with a thousand other cars, right, to get your order, and you're, you're sitting there, and your little kid in the backseat is chucking things at your head and will not stop, and, and just keeps going, and you're like, stop, and they don't, and they just keep throwing, they're laughing, they think it's the funniest thing in the world, just hit you in the head and watch, watch you say, stop that, and then it keeps going. Maybe it's not time to stop the car, take off your seatbelt, get out, Go around into the back seat and have a conversation and discipline your child. Just not the time, right? Okay, so there's moments like that. In the middle of the grocery store, 
You may not have the context in that moment to do it, but you kind of need to hold about 90%. 90% consistency is enough for your child to understand what expectations are. And I would argue this, children are wicked smart about this. They know which one is the big softy, mommy or daddy. They do. And you know what we had to do? The unspoken rule that we settled early on was, number one, mommy always agrees with daddy on a thing, and daddy always agrees with mommy on this thing. And if you come to ask us to try to get to us to, to give you two different opinions, that's when some discipline's going to happen, because you're now trying to divide us as a husband and wife. Divide and conquer, right? They're smart. I'm telling you, they know this stuff. Nobody teaches them. There's no class for them when they're three or four, right? But they learn it. So we got to be consistent and help set expectations. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is bringing them up to be disciples. It's uh, instruction is the training, both what is good behavior, but also correcting what is bad behavior. So it's both things is what uh, Paul is using here. This, this uh, word, um, instructional counseling about avoiding or stopping an improper course of conduct or even admonishing your child. Now, um, the good news is, I know you're like, some of your parents are like, whew, I'll be so glad when this is over. Um, the good news is there's, there's grace for you because here's the thing. You, you can't raise your kids in a day and you can rarely ruin your kids in a day. So if you just had a really bad day, don't walk in that shame and guilt. Repent of it, of what you can repent of or what you should repent of. Sometimes things are just beyond your control and it's a terrible day. Receive the grace of God and get back up on your, on, on your feet the next day. Let me give you a few application points of how to make disciples in your home. I'm not even going to comment on them, but give them to you and go. Uh, we'll, we'll close. One, speak of Christ often in your home. You want your children to love Jesus, speak of Christ often in your home. The Shema in the Old Testament, uh, Jewish people said it every single day from Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 uh, through 9. I don't have time to, to even read this. You can re- read it on your own, write it down. But basically, listen to how, look at how, how uh, the teaching is to be done. It's not to be uh, like a catechism, like, oh, children are going to spend an hour from 7 to 8 p.m. each night reading this catechism or what God instructs. It is to be done throughout life. Speak of Christ often in your home. Secondly, go after your child's heart more than you go after their behavior. You're not trying to make moral performers. So even when you correct their moral behavior, you want to root them in Christ. You want to steer them to the gospel um, and, and help them. I would, I would argue this, help them to, see, to, to do some self-reflection. Why did I do that? Why did I want to do that thing that daddy and mommy told me not to do? Um, I'll tell you this, and... Uh, like I said, we made a million mistakes. My girls at 20, uh, 23 and 20, or 24 and 20, uh, can, sorry, uh, can, can do more self-reflection on their own hearts than I could do when I was 35 or 40. Why? Because we taught them to. Interestingly, we were learning to do it, so we were able to kind of talk to them about it too. Oh, That's brilliant stuff. Let's t- let's teach the kids that, right? <laughs> why did you do that? Think about your own heart and why why you sin. Uh, thirdly, model what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If your kids never see you reading the Bible, then don't be surprised if they don't respect the Bible. If your children don't ever see you 
uh, following God, repenting of sin, leaning into the gospel, repenting to them, right? When you need to, then don't be surprised if they don't, they don't get what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Yes, that should put a weight on you. Like, well, that's heavy. Yes, it is heavy. We don't get to live independent lives as Christians. We have people looking to us, not just our children, by the way, single people. It's other people's kids looking to you going, uncle, whatever, super cool. I love them. They're the best. And their parents are idiots, right? They, my parents, I don't like my parents, but I like uncle so-and-so. They want to see uncle, they need to see uncle so-and-so following Jesus hard, Right? Fourthly and finally, immerse yourself in Christian community. I know you get this, Koa talks about community all the time, but not just like this isn't theoretical. We need support and your child needs it too. I planted this church in 2010 with a core team around you know, 30, 40 people. Um, the crazy thing was, so we had a year of just like meeting over in a synagogue on Sunday nights, building a core team up. Um, and my girls were six and 10 at the time, or six and nine at the time. And um, while we were doing this, the crazy thing is there were no children in our church. Now, you might think, well, that's a recipe for kids to be wild and out of control and crazy. No, nope. You talk to my kids and they never, they, yeah, they had friends at school and that was important, but you know who their friends were? The adults in the church, the 20-somethings. I'm serious. My, and by the way, my, both my girls learned to talk to adults at a young age because of that, because their friends were adults at church and they hung out with them and they loved them. And uh, one night we had a couple over for dinner. I'll never forget this. Teresa laughing. We had a couple over for dinner and like, this is a core couple. They're members. And we were, we were just going to catch up. They'd been married a couple of years and I forgot it was something not like super weighty, but we wanted to talk to have a heart to heart with them about something. And, uh, and we'd finished dinner and we were like, okay, kids go in the other room and watch TV. Um, watch a show or something, and we'll and you know adults want to have a conversation about this. This is what the kids said: We don't want to go. They're our friends too, and it's true. Throughout the entire dinner, they had been talking back and forth with it, like they were their friends, and it was a beautiful thing to see what Christian community can do to support a family when we had no children in the church our kids' age. My kids helped on setup. They helped on tear down, and this is one of my favorite things. I'm going to close with this. I love, I love being here on setup on uh, on Sunday morning sometimes, and seeing the families come in with their little kids, and the little kid is putting, you know, putting one of these little cards on on the uh, chair, and I'm just thinking to myself, they're learning to love the church. They're learning to serve. We're building servants' hearts out of them. What a beautiful. What's that going to bear? In their lives, a childhood of growing up, love being a part of a community, loving community, and serving in part of that community. What's going to happen to them? I'm so excited, right? That's what the vision is here, that we are making disciples uh, of the next generation. I want to encourage you as we close and we move into our time of communion, is to remind us all of something. Uh, We will all fail by our parents, and we will all fail as parents, but God is good. And every one of you is God's kid. Every one of you that has put your faith into Jesus is his child. And he delights in you. You're like, you don't know my last week. He still delights in you. He loves you. He loves the way he wired you. He doesn't care that you don't have the gifts of that person or you're not as talented or not as smart or not as beautiful or whatever as that other person. He doesn't care. He made you the way you are. And he delights in you. And all he wants you to do is to enjoy and live out of the overflow of that loving relationship. 
And he does, he loves you so much that to make that happen, his son, Jesus, our brother, came and died that we could be brought into his family. That's what communion is celebrating. So we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded of the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's, uh, let's stand. We're gonna pray and sing together. So anytime over this next song, if you're a Christian, um, you put your faith in Christ, we encourage you to step out. You can go to the end of the room there and out those doors and take communion out in the hallway. We're not allowed to have food or drink in here. So um, please do that outside and then drop your stuff on your way back in the back door here. If you're not a Christian or not sure where you stand with God, this is really, uh, this is for those who've, who've, who know that they're children of God, who've experienced that. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're, I mean, this is a step of faith on your own and we want to help you in that journey however we can. And even during these moments while we're singing, you can pray, you can talk to God, you can call on him and say, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me today? And uh, I'll be in the back after the service. would love to help you if there's any way we can serve you. Let's pray together. Jesus, um, wow, what a, what a picture that you have given us through your coming death and resurrection on our behalf that we could be called sons and daughters of God to be brought in as, as, as uh, your brothers and sisters. We're not second class. We're not um, somehow junior varsity. We, we, we are adopted in with the full privileges as co-heirs with you. And Lord, as we, we live in this broken world and we seek to, um, whether it's be parenting our own children or seeking to love and serve the children of our, of our church, Lord, help us in our weakness to point them to Jesus. Help us in our weakness to love and serve them well. Help us to model what it means to follow Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.